Well, good morning, everybody. Isn't it just wonderful to be able to have these moments where we can just connect with God? And if you haven't had a moment yet in the service, maybe it's still coming. So let's just pray as we turn our attention to the Word of God. Father, thank you that you so evidently here with us this morning. I pray that you give me the boldness to share what you've put on my heart. And I pray even, Lord, while I share, the anointing of your spirit would continue in this room and that you would continue to heal people, continue to meet people, encounter each one of us, Lord, in these moments, these holy moments, in these holy spaces that we have in our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All these moments that we have, these times when we connect with God are dependent on one moment. We know this moment happened at about three o'clock on a Friday afternoon in April, probably the first or second of week, uh, weekend in April. This moment happened about 1,987 years ago, give or take three years, either way. It was the moment when everything changed, when everything in eternity past, in the history of the world past, and everything that happened after this moment changed. It was obviously the moment when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross for us. It was the moment of the cross. Until that moment, everything had been going in one direction. Humanity was lost. Without any form of substantive hope, they were separated from God. Evil was running rampant in the world. But when Jesus died on the cross at three o'clock on a Friday afternoon for us, everything changed. This becomes the defining moment in history. When God himself came and planted a stake in the sense of a cross in the history of the world. And the cross stands as the defining moment in eternity. The book of Revelation says that Christ, the Lamb of God, was slain before the creation of the world. So before God made anything, he had a plan to restore relationship with him. The cross is a defining moment. In my life, this defining moment became real. It became personal about 31 years ago. I don't know exactly when in the year it was, probably in the second half of the year, but I know it was a Saturday night. We were in a confirmation process in the church I was in at that time, and they took us on a camp. And so in a campground on a Saturday night somewhere just outside of Bloemfontein when I was about 15 years old, they, someone shared a gospel message to us and explained the reality of this moment, the reality of the cross. And I remember so vividly at the end of that message, there was an invitation to come and put your life at the foot of the cross, to give your life to God. And the way that it worked there was that there was an invitation to stay behind, that if you wanted to give your life to Jesus, you had to stay behind. And so they ended the session, and to my great surprise, many of my friends got up and left. I couldn't understand why they didn't want to stay. But for me, it was a time to stay behind when others left. And that's where my life changed, everything changed. And that is the title of my message today, The Cross 
changes everything. Now, if we had to do a linguistic study, we'd find that everything means everything. The cross affects every aspect of our lives. The cross changes everything. I wonder what your story is. I wonder how the cross of Jesus changed your life. I wonder if you can remember that moment when you encountered God in that way. I'm gonna lay a little bit of a foundation from the scriptures now, and uh, we'll take some time to lay that foundation, and then we'll pick up a little bit of speed at the end, so just get your note-taking pens ready for the end. I wonder if you can turn in your Bibles or on your devices to the first book of Corinthians. Uh, the scripture's not gonna come on the screen, because I'd very much like for us to engage with the text without necessarily looking at the screen. So if you have access to the scriptures, if you don't, please just listen really carefully as you can. I will read it to the best of my ability. The first book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, chapter one, and we're gonna read from verse 18 to verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter one, from verse 18 to 25. Paul writes to this charismatic community of believers in Corinth, and he talks to them and he says, verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and he quotes the Old Testament, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached, the cross, to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And Paul writes these defining words, and many scholars would say these are, this is one of his defining passages as he develops his theology of the cross, the cross that changes everything. A couple of quick comments on this passage, if I may. It's interesting in this passage that Paul summarizes two major views of how we solve problems or how we fix things. He says the Jews demand a sign, the Jews want power, and the Gentiles, which would be the Greeks and the Romans and all other nations at that time, want wisdom. And isn't it so often in our world that we live in, in the time that we live in, that when we want to solve problems, it's either our solutions always come down to, do we have enough power, do we have strength in numbers, can we solve this, or we need better ideas, we need wiser ways, and we need to look to the philosophers and the thinkers I was in a meeting earlier in the week where someone was saying that we need a new ethical construct because they believe that the wisdom of the, eth eth the people who teach ethics, the ethicists, okay, that 
that they can help us in the country. So wisdom was proposed. Human wisdom was proposed as an answer. And sometimes, so often the world looks to power and wisdom to solve problems. But Paul says we preach Christ crucified. Verse 20 asks, where is the teacher of the law? In Paul's time, that would have been the Jewish legalists. The cross says that legalism, trying to be a good person by obeying the rules and keeping the laws and not offending anybody, by your own effort trying to restore your relationship with God, the cross says legalism does not work. The teacher of the law cannot help you. Verse 20 also speaks about where is the wise person, where is the philosopher of this age. The cross says, no matter how smart you are, how much philosophy you've read or not read, how clever you are, intellect doesn't solve the problem of our alienation with God. It doesn't meet the fundamental need in the human heart. The cross says that doing what is right in your own eyes and following humanly generated ethics doesn't solve the problem. We often hear these words, do what feels right to you. It's important just to be yourself. The cross says that that's not a way of salvation. We preach Christ crucified. Verse 25 in this passage, Paul clearly says that God has made the best wisdom of the world and the greatest shows of power nothing because the cross changes everything. Christ crucified on the cross becomes then, in Paul's view, both the wisdom of God and the power of God. Now, God's not per se against power and wisdom. We've done a series in this church on the wisdom of God where we spoke through Proverbs. What God is against is human wisdom, wisdom that's uninformed by a knowledge of God. God's not against power. He's, against, he's for the appropriate use of power as well, for, of godly power. But it's when the source of that power and the source of that wisdom is not rooted in Christ, it isn't a solution at all. So what does this message of the cross mean, this we preach Christ crucified? Some people talk about a theology of the cross. Theology, by the way, is not a swear word, in case you're wondering. It means the study of God. Every one of you sitting in this room, if you have a thought or an opinion about God, you are a theologian. Welcome to the club. Okay. A theology of the cross, how do we think correctly about the cross? Now, the cross obviously becomes a symbol of sacrifice. It becomes a symbol of death. It's the place where Jesus died. It also becomes a symbol of the denial of self. We remember that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knew what was coming. He prays and he said, nevertheless, Father, not my will be done, but your will. The cross becomes a place of self-denial. It becomes a place just as Jesus did where he, he surrendered himself to the will of God. The cross becomes a place of surrender. The cross is also a place where that which stands in opposition to God is reckoned with. On the cross, sin, which stands in opposition to God, was dealt a death blow. Sin was dealt a death blow 
on the cross. The cross is also a place of victory because Jesus overcame and defeated sin and death in the world. So the cross, cross in the way we're talking about it at this time, in, speaks of death and surrender. But it also speaks of victory because three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. So the cross speaks of power to overcome sin, to reckon with that, with that in our lives, which stands in opposition to God. The cross makes the way for the resurrection and for victory. The cross changes everything. Now, when we start talking about the cross, there is a tension to be managed. Uh, Andy Stanley talks about that there's problems we solve and there's tensions we manage. Now, when we start studying the New Testament and we look at some things around the cross, there is a tension to be managed because I think that some of you have been sitting there saying, but you're talking about all the negative stuff. You're talking about the hard stuff. What about the resurrection and the good stuff where Jesus rose from the dead and he overcame sin? What about the power of signs and wonders and miracles? What about this thing of the gifts of the Spirit where we speak in tongues and where we can put our faith out? There is a tension in the New Testament where it speaks of both things. On the one hand, it speaks of what I want to call this morning a theology of the cross. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, that was on the screens a moment ago, Paul summarizes this tension well. He says, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of his sufferings, participating, depending on your translation, participating in his sufferings, but I also want to know him in the power of his resurrection. So there's a theology of the cross where we participate in the sufferings of Jesus. And then there's what I would call this morning a theology of glory, where we participate in the power and the, um, what we could probably call the more positive aspects of our faith. And the theology of the cross and the theology of the glory stand in tension with one another. They're not opposites. It's a bit like this. We must look at them with a both and view. We need a theology of the cross and we need a theology of glory where we overcome and we conquer and we are the head and we're not the tail, if I can use some language like that. But we need both a theology of the cross and a theology of glory together. It's important, I just want to balance my message a little bit this morning by saying that it's important that we hold those in tension. But as I was preparing this morning, I really felt the Lord asked me, or well, as I was preparing for this morning, I didn't only prepare this morning, don't worry. Okay. I felt the Lord to ask me to speak more and to focus today, to bring all of our collective attention to the theology of the cross. So the focus for today is on the cross, because the cross provides the context for the resurrection. The theology of the cross provides the context for the theology of glory. If we study this passage in its original context, the Corinthian church, um, well, they had a couple of problems. If you read the book, you'll see Paul has to address quite a few things. But one of the fundamental underlying issues that the Corinthians probably wrestled with, or maybe got the emphasis a little bit wrong, was they were focusing or over-focused on a theology of glory. Uh, they misunderstood what it meant to be spiritual people. They felt that speaking in tongues was all, the, all you should do because you're now resurrected and you've arrived and the future of the kingdom is coming to the present. And they kind of were leaning a bit too heavily to the theology of glory. And Paul just says, remember the theology of the cross as well, particularly in this chapters, chapters one and two in Corinthians. So today we're focusing on the cross because the cross changes everything. The cross stands as the definitive moment, the definitive event 
in the history of the world. The resurrection of Jesus is probably on the same level, and one day when he returns, however that works out, those will be probably the three top moments in the history of the earth. And so we've been speaking in Romans 12 over the last term about God's perfect pattern. And so you could also frame what I'm wanting to talk about this morning as having the pattern of the cross on our lives. The cross, as we learned in, sorry, we learned in Romans 12, is about being transformed into what God wants us to be. The cross provides the foundation for that transformation. So I want to look at a couple of areas now where the cross changes everything. Firstly, the cross changes my relationship to sin. The cross changes my relationship to sin. And yes, you do have a relationship with sin. You know it, don't you? Well, if you're honest, okay. When you know that you're doing that thing you're not supposed to be doing, you have a certain relationship and interaction with sin. The cross changes my relationship to sin. There's many passages, but the one I just want to remind us of this morning is in the first book of Peter in chapter two, and these will all come up on the screen. First Peter chapter two and verse 24. It speaks of Jesus, and he says that he bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds we have been healed. We have in this one verse the theology of the cross. We die to sins and we live for righteousness and we have a theology of glory where our wounds have been healed or can be healed. And so the cross comes and it changes my relationship with sin. It changes how I feel, how I interact and relate about sin. You see, before you meet Jesus, before the cross becomes effectual in your own life, you do whatever you want. You do what makes you feel good. Maybe depending on the culture or the family or the home you grew up in, you might feel slightly guilty. But actually, if you're not saved, you can do whatever you like. Well, as long as it's not illegal, but you could do that and get into trouble anyway. The cross changes my relationship to sin. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter seven where when the cross becomes effectual in my life, when the cross starts working in my life, I find a new relationship with sin. Instead of just doing whatever I wanted, I find that I suddenly don't want to do it anymore. I suddenly find that I want to live to please God and not do the sins I've been doing anymore. The cross changes my relationship to sin in that it helps me turn away from sin. The cross helps me turn to God. The cross brings me to a place where I do not want to sin anymore. Sometimes we talk about this as the work of the cross. The cross comes in our lives, it brings us forgiveness. We come to a place where we repent, we change our minds about living for ourselves and we start living for God. The cross changes my relationship to sin. The work of the cross gets me, in popular language that we use very often, we'd say the cross gets me saved, okay? It brings me to a place where my relationship with God is restored. But in the life training school, we often also talk about the work of the cross, and then we end up talking also about the way of the cross. And this is where, as we read in 1 Corinthians 18 earlier, for us who are being saved, that's one of the other tensions in the New Testament. We are saved and we're being saved. We have to hold those in the right, right tensions as well. We're saved 
in the sense that our relationship with God is restored and then we're being saved as that relationship and the cross works out in our lives. So there's the work of the cross and there's a way of the cross. And as we embark on the way of the cross, the cross changes our relationship with sin. We do not want to do it anymore. The cross helps me live, as 1 Peter 2 says, as though I'm dead to sin. How do you live as if you're dead to sin? I've often wrestled with this, and I don't know if I've got an answer yet, but what I do is, in my mind, I go, that does not exist for me. When the temptation comes to do something, I go, not an option in my life, because I'm dead to it. I reckon it, I, in my head, live as if it's not an option. As we embark on this way of the cross, there's some other areas that the cross also changes my life, because the cross is fundamentally about salvation. Can I be clear on that this morning? But I also wanna say the cross is not just about salvation. The cross is about far more than saving us. The cross becomes effective in our lives as we work out our salvation. So the cross changes my everyday. The cross changes my everyday. The cross changes everything, particularly my everyday. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter nine and verse 23, Luke 9, 23, Jesus said to them all, speaking to his disciples, speaking to us, the followers of Christ, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to follow me and become like me, must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. The cross becomes part of our everyday life. Now it's interesting to me that Jesus told his disciples, his followers told us that we need to take up our crosses daily before he even went to the cross. He understood that this self-denial and part of uh, surrendering our lives was important even before he went to the cross. And so this, the cross becoming part of my life daily becomes a pattern where I yield my days and my moments and my hours and my relationships to God. It develops a pattern of yieldedness in my heart. Yieldedness means I give it to God. I surrender what I want, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. You're moving in a direction. You're yielded in a direction. The cross is when we put our lives on the altar, the living sacrifices of Romans 12, and we yield and we surrender and we become transformed more and more into who God made us. To be. So the cross changes my every day. The cross is that place, we're close to what we sung this morning, where we sing, not my will, but thy will. Let your kingdom come, not my kingdom come. So the cross changes my every day. The cross also changes my heart. While the cross is changing everything, the cross changes my heart. Not only, as I spoke earlier, does the cross change my orientation towards sin, I die to sin and I live towards God. The cross comes and it deals with my ambitions. It comes and it says my best efforts to please God don't count. They amount to nothing because I've got to come to the cross. Paul says they're like dirty rags. The cross deals with personal pride, it deals with sin. We live as though we're dead. I don't know if you've had the wonderful experience, I've had it many times in my life, where God comes and he speaks to you about something that needs adjustment or that needs change in your life. 
Usually it's things that are probably not so good and that need help. I wonder if you've had that experience where it feels like the cross just goes straight into your heart. Anybody? Okay, me and Gerben and one other. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's coming. <laughs> the cross comes and God speaks to us about the conditions of our heart where perhaps we have reserves in our heart towards others. We're on teams with people and we're working together, but in our hearts we actually carry a reserve. We resent them, we hold things against them, we keep grudges, we hold unforgiveness. The cross comes and says, you cannot do that anymore. Okay, the cross deals with my heart on a fundamental level. And I believe perhaps this morning, some of us need to come with our ambitions, the things we have which we're holding in our lives above perhaps which that which God wants for us and we need to come and put them at the foot of the cross. And we, instead of holding on to them, we open our hands and we say, God, you can have these, you can have my dreams, you can have my aspirations, I want yours. The cross deals with my heart, the cross changes my heart. The cross also changes my home. You see, the cross isn't just something for church and something for my personal life. The cross affects every sphere of my life, particularly in my homes, in our homes. And just two things I want to maybe highlight this morning. The cross changes our marriages. It's a little bit stayed, the saying or the, the way we do this, but marriage is wonderful, isn't it? Men, you need to say it louder. Um, my wife's not here today, so I've got a little bit of license. She's uh, visiting family down in George. You can pray for me. I'm flying down a little bit later this afternoon, apparently. 15 degrees colder and rain. It's going to be wonderful. Okay. Okay, back on point. The cross changes our marriages. Marriage is wonderful, you know. Two beings, two people becoming one. It's just glorious. You know when the problems start, eh? It's when they're trying to decide which one they want to become. That wasn't that. Okay. The cross helps us die to self in our closest and most intimate relationships. The cross comes when I realize my wife and I are different. And then I surrender myself and I yield and I can come to a position and place where I can serve her, where I can take my wants and set them aside and love her and take care of her wants and needs. The cross affects marriages. The cross, um, one of the American speakers, I forget his name now, he says, you know why God designed marriage? To kill you. Because it's the place where you're confronted with how selfish you can be and, and the worst perhaps of who you are. And God uses this wonderful relationship of marriage and the joy of being together to transform us and change us from our selfish selves. The cross also changes my home in that it can help me understand and relate to my children better where I don't have to live in a dictatorial, authoritarian relationship dominating my children. The cross helps me understand that my children are sinners too. <laughs> you know, one of our challenges, at least it's my challenge, when we're raising our children, we expect them to be not like us. We expect them that when we give them instruction, they obey it every time. Like we obey God when he gives us instructions every time. Not so. We expect our children to be like us and do things that we 
perhaps don't do ourselves, the cross helps me realize that maybe I have to tell them a hundred times or a thousand times, or have you ever done the how many times must I tell you speech? And then my little girl looks at me so cutely and she goes, I forgot, Daddy. <laughs> the cross helps me realize that there's a place of grace, that there's forgiveness, and that we go again and again, and we love our children. The cross changes my home. But what about the cross and beyond? As we said in the announcements, Hatfield is about hearts, homes, and beyond. We focus on those areas. What about my beyond? And this morning, I just want to do a quick step on, two, on one aspect, actually. Um, sorry, two. I want to talk a little bit about the cross and reconciliation. The cross and reconciliation. The cross changes the way we reconcile with people. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20, Paul again is writing, and he's talking about Jesus, and he says that it's through Jesus that God decided to reconcile to himself all things, all meaning, all. So Jesus not only reconciles us to God in personal relationship and in response to our sin, he's busy through Jesus, through the church, you and I, reconciling all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and making peace through his blood, again, shed on the cross. The cross not only reconciles my relationship with God, it's through the cross God is busy reconciling all things. Even the place where you work, your workplace, God wants to reconcile that. He wants to bring it back into his kingdom, into his domain, into his sphere of influence. Now, I don't know where you work, but I'm guessing most of you don't think you work in heaven, because most of you don't work here in the church. This is where heaven is, obviously. <laughs> Until you come, of course. Um, <clears throat> it's fine, sorry, that's really a joke, it's wonderful. God wants to reconcile your workplace to him, and as you take the cross in your workplaces, and you live a place of surrender, you surrender, you yield, you share love, when people are angry and, and when they come against you, you bless them and don't curse them. Like Romans 12 says, the cross can transform, the cross can change your workplace if you take a theology of the cross into the workplace. The cross and reconciliation also speaks to reconciliation between groups, different groups of different things. In Ephesians chapter two, there's a long passage and we don't have time to read it all, Paul speaks, and he speaks about how God in his time reconciled two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. Ephesians chapter two, verse 14 to 16, Paul writes this, for he himself, Jesus, is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Now in this time, the Jewish law was the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. And Jesus comes and he destroys that barrier. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. That's such an interesting phrase, but that's maybe a whole other sermon on its own. But God creates one new humanity out of the two groups and he makes peace. And in one body, he reconciles both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And so the cross becomes the ground for reconciliation. The cross, perhaps if we look at these cross beams, is where different groups 
come together and find peace. We're different genders, if there is a gender war, I'm not sure yet, but where genders come together and find peace and equality, where people from different socioeconomic backgrounds come together, the rich and the poor, God reconciles them. It also obviously applies to race and to culture. The cross becomes the only substantive ground for reconciliation. The cross changes everything. I'm just gonna skip my last point just for the guys on the songboard. The cross changes everything. I'll remind us again of the first verse we read this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. The message of the cross may be, seem foolish to those who are perishing. Why would God die? Why would he give up power? Why would he surrender? Why would he pay such a terrible price? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And this morning, as I've been speaking about the fact that the cross changes everything, I also want you to know that the cross is the power of God in your life to transform. But the journey of transformation starts with a journey of surrender. Perhaps this morning, and I know there was a, uh, an uh, invitation earlier in the meeting for those who have not met Jesus to come to the cross. But perhaps this morning it's time for you to, like I did 30-something years ago, to stay behind. When others leave and perhaps friends and family get up and walk out, won't you stay behind and come to the front and one of the pastors and the elders, the prayer team will be here and you just say to them, I've never come to the cross. And we would love to help you on that journey. Stay behind today. Others may leave. Perhaps today is your day to stay. But for the rest of us, I wonder if you can think of one area of your life, maybe something in your heart. We spoke quite a bit in the service earlier about family and homes. We've got to come in our families. Maybe one area in your family, one area in your heart, one area in your workplace, whichever, just one thing. If you can think of one area where you believe you need the power of God. The cross for us is the power of God. You need the power of God to be applied. If you want the power of God to change, to transform, to deliver, to set free, you have to embrace the cross. You have to embrace the cross. The way to, to the resurrection, let me rather say it this way, the resurrection follows the crucifixion. As we embrace the cross in surrender, as we let the cross speak to our hearts, God can transform our lives. So if you have one area, we're gonna pray in a while and trust God to come and transform our lives. Imagine, as we talk about here in Hatfield, that we're a community on a mission. We're a community on a mission. Imagine if we could be a community that is life-giving and sacrificial, addressing inequalities and injustices. Imagine if we can be a community that reconciles, that a community that takes the cross and embraces it, that allows the cross to transform us. Imagine what a model that can be in our nation. By the way, I already think we are a model in our nation. What God has done here in terms of reconciliation, not only in the recent past, in the 30, 40 years of this church's history, God has been reconciling groups in this church. It's a model for the nation. You don't find this. This is uncommon. Did you know that? I think you do, eh? God can form a community here that can speak to 
very difficult issues in our nation. But let's pray and see what God is saying to us about our own hearts. Can I invite you to stand? I'd like to pray for us this morning. Father, you know the one thing. You know the thing that we're speaking to. For some of us, it's about coming to surrender our lives to the cross. For some of us, Lord, it's about that thing in the heart that we've been stuck with, the, the grudge, the reserve, the distance. For some of us, Lord, it's that family member that we're trusting you for. Lord, you know the one thing, the thing in our workplace, the thing in our community, the injustice that just keeps us awake at night. Thank you, Lord, that your word says that the cross is, for us who are being saved, is the power of God. And so, Lord, as we come to this place of surrender and we lay these burdens down at the foot of the cross, and I invite you to do that, take that one thing that's in your mind and in your heart and go, Lord, I put that at the foot of your cross. We lay our burdens down and we look to you, Lord, for that promise of salvation. I pray, Lord, that your resurrection power, the theology of glory would come through for each one in that area of their lives this morning. We pause to acknowledge that this cross is the defining symbol the defining event in the history of the world. And Father, I pray for us as a community that we can live a cruciform life, a life that is modeled on the cross of Jesus. I pray for us as a community that you would reconcile our hearts to your purposes, to your purposes and plans in this nation, in our families and in our lives. So we surrender again afresh, Lord, our lives at the cross this morning. And Lord, as we go perhaps into hard times and difficult spaces and places, we carry your cross with us. We take our cross daily and we go expecting the power of God to come through our lives. Father, I bless each one for coming this morning. I pray that as this week goes, this picture of the cross will stay fresh in our hearts and in our minds. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.